firecracker, you know that. Thank you for the compliment from an 80-year-old. Beautiful words from an 80-year-old man. Are we recording? Yeah, I'm recording. I'm just, just chilling with the recorder on. Hello. Hi. Are we starting? How are you? I don't know. I've, I don't know how to make a podcast, Michael. Don't ask me. All right. I just go here. Do your hello again. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello, Michael. Hi, how are you? Uh... Wow, you were very resistant to that. No, I wasn't, what's that I was resistant? It's just, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? It wasn't that I'm resistant. It's just that I'm so fine that I had to squeal in misery. I am fine, listeners. Just, you know, it's cor- <laughs> You know, you know what's wrong. Yeah, I mean, it is still coronavirus. Mm-hmm. It is still happening. Yeah, it's bad. Still going, still cooking. Mm-hmm. How are you, Hava? Tell me, tell me how you are. Well, Michael, I'm doing well. I am in the middle of a cycle of teaching Hebrew classes. That's going really well, and I just took a super long walk, which was dope. And yeah, I just like study Talmud all the time. And then when I'm not studying Talmud, I am rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I made a popular Avatar tweet recently. I'm very proud. Oh, okay. Wow. You are doing so many more things than me. Today, I woke up, promptly realized I was conscious, and went back to sleep. <laughs> I did eat a clementine in that little sliver of consciousness. So, if you think about it... I did have my one dose of fruit for the day. Well, I wake up and I have my most effective four hours of the day... Starting a half hour after I wake up, I have four hours of like total brilliance. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the day, I am an absolute slug. I can't do anything outside of those four hours. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. That is how I perceive you, Hava. You have a good four hours and then the rest is garbage. Yeah, but it can be beautiful garbage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a great time. Yeah, I've been in slug mode for about a week now. It's just been a sluggy kind of week. But, you know, now we're recording the pod, so that makes me feel a little chipper. Makes me feel a little better. Well, that's the highlight of any week. That's the highlight of my week is recording this here beautiful pod with Hava. Oh, Michael. So should we we, uh, give them the news? Should we tell them what's happening? Yeah, yes. Listeners... Big news, everyone. Big news. Our romantic relationship has ended, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we are now just friends. We are just friends, guys. But very close friends with a very entangled relationship. Yeah, it's very entangled. I think you still have a pair of my socks. I can't find them. It's very sad because I want to wear them. You you can hold on to the socks. I also have a pair of socks that uh, I need to give back to you, actually. (laughs) But listeners, this means that we're available (laughs) well i'm not available because i need to take time to learn about my own needs and boundaries and focus on mourning my divorce so i'm actually not available but michael is available are you looking for a slightly self-aware slightly nebbishy sexy voiced podcast host to (laughs) rock your world he comes with references i got some good refs and that's the only way he comes it takes references it does wow (laughs) if you're not citing your sources if you're not citing your fucking sources then i am just not gonna show up not in it to win it Mm -mm. so we broke up we're still making the podcast together we're still very good friends so Mm -hmm. don't you know don't worry don't be too worried mom and dad are still friends yeah mom and dad are friends you get to have christmas and hanukkah you know you get to have your weird russian food 
when you visit <laughs> me on the weekends and, you, you know, when you're with your you mom. You have good food when you visit me. Yeah, you have the good food, you know, so it's like you, you can appreciate <laughs> it more. So that's a wild thing that's happening in both of our lives. Totally wild. It's very chill. Our relationship was very on the borderland between romance and friendship already. We were like surfer bros when we're with each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, I feel stable. I feel like Elliot Stabler, actually, as a matter of fact. <laughs> wow. That, I had a crush on Christopher Maloney as Elliot Stabler from a young age. Definitely oh, yeah. seeing Elliot Stabler in SVU was like a gay awakening as a child. I was thinking that uh, we were actually similar to the X-Files people. Like, you're David Duchovny, and I'm, okay. I'm Julian Which Anderson. is like the weird... I've never seen X-Files. Let me just come out of the closet now by saying I've never seen a single episode of X-Files. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, you know, no judgment here, but uh, that's the real reason why we're not dating anymore. <laughs> So I'm David Duchovny and you're Jillian Anderson. This works out very well for you. Uh, yeah. Duh. Yeah. Oh, Yvay. What are What other news do we have? Do we got any Jew news? Any sec news? Like, what kind of news? <laughs> I don't think there's any more news. I think it's Talmud time. Talmud time. Talmud time, guys. Okay, team. Continuation of the sugya that we talked about last week. Just to recap, we talked about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He was hiding in the Beit Midrash, and then he abandons his wife. And that was really interesting, brought out a lot of threads of like gendered labor and questionable provenance of the Talmud in terms of justice. I wanted to continue that. I think the sentence that comes after the one that we studied last time brings up some really interesting points in terms of like theology and also in terms of theory of Talmud, historiography of the Talmud. Ooh. I'm talking out of turn because I really have no idea what any word means. But, you know, <laughs> here we go. So we're still on Shabbat Daf 33b. And doing the sugya that we had last time, we have this continuing sentence. Azalu show bim arkta itrachish nisim ivri lehu charuva u'ayna demaya. And here's what it means. He went and hid in a cave. So that's part one. When he abandoned his wife because he wasn't confident that she would be able to keep the secret under duress, he went and hid in a cave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then a miracle was brought about. A carob tree and a spring of water were created for him. Ooh. So outside the cave, God does a miracle and creates a carob tree to nourish him and a spring of water, you know. Question, question. Carob tree. What is a carob tree? You know that, like, chocolate replacement we were all force-fed in the 90s? Oh, yeah. Okay, wow. God sucks. God's really <laughs> sucking. Carob is actually a huge agricultural product in that era, and it's a really big theme in Talmud. Carob comes up a lot as, like, a kind of tree that people are often dealing with. So, like, this is sort of a agricultural crop of the time of the Talmud. Okay. All right. So it's a it's a staple. Yeah. The carob tree produces like these long like bean pods, really, really long green beans, except they're brown and inside the, the little beans can be like ground up or they can be chewed. I've never had carob by itself. I've only had like carob chocolate, but apparently it has like all kinds of uses that are not just making a really bad chocolate replacement. Okay. Okay. Sorry, God. I was just I was playing. <laughs> I mean, she deserves it. Yeah, kind of does. What I thought was interesting 
symbologically about this is that he abandons his wife and then his wife is replaced by God. If you remember in the last sentence that we studied, his wife is bringing bread and water every day to him. In this sugya, he abandons his wife and God sort of steps up to fulfill that role, which is interesting to think about God as sort of the labor that allows this continuation of the tradition. It's sort of showing us that this really crummy role that his wife was in of being the sort of uncredited laborer, it shows us that there is a sacredness to those people who perform those roles. Mm -hmm. Not that that arrangement is just, but it sort of sanctifies that really shitty role of being the unpaid domestic labor. Oh, I got you. I got you. The work being done by the women is godly. God took over when the women weren't there to do the work. Boom. Right. Exactly. So she brings bread and water to him, and the bread is replaced with carob. There's this teaching I've heard before in Jewish circles. Unfortunately, I don't remember the source for it. One of the reasons that bread has such a special place in Jewish tradition is because it's a food product that can only exist by the combination of God and human labor. Like the wheat, for instance, can only... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. ...comes from God basically, but it can only be made into bread by human hands. So I think there's an interesting highlight of that here that, you know, God didn't create a bread tree. Okay, so we got the (laughs) carobs. We got carobs. I'm not so excited about that, but, you know, it is cool that they miraculously appeared. You know, credit where credit is due. And spring water is always, I'm always down for a spring of water. Right, right. There's a lot of interesting, you know, symbological parallelisms to be found here between the ways peoples are replaced. But another thing that really came out of me thinking about this section as a whole, I was studying with one of my chevrutas. Uh, we were studying the sugya together, and they asked me why did I think that this whole story of Shimon ben Gamliel was in here if he basically is just being like completely misogynistic in relation to his wife. Like, why do we have this story preserved of someone behaving so badly? Especially because, you know, Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel, or wait, no, we're talking about Shimon Bar Yochai. Wow. I've been saying all kinds of names wrong. I'm very embarrassed in retrospect. Bar Yochai is the one we're talking about. Okay. Shimon Bar Yochai. Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's for people who are into their misogyny. My to asked, why did I think this story was in here with this guy acting like such a jerk? Why would this be preserved in our tradition? I think that stories like this, where we have characters in the background who are sort of being shat upon, mm-hmm. and the hero is sort of being a jerk, I have this optimistic theology that God caused these stories to be preserved in hopes that one day there would be someone who was capable of reading the roles of the less central characters. God preserved these pieces of Talmud so that one day there would be a generation that is capable of reading and caring for the people who aren't the hero. It's kind of weirdly nice to be reminded that men are assholes throughout all of time. (laughs) One of the things like when I hang out with my regular set of friends they're like yeah men suck they need to be better and that's good but there's also this kind of belief that you could actually be perfect 
like you just need to try hard. Mm-hmm. You need to be perfect. And it's like nice to be reminded that people are assholes throughout all time. Yeah, like it's good to see our mythological heroes behaving badly because it reminds us that they're not immune from the same pitfalls that we are all falling into. Yeah. Like even the loftiest sage is still a dick can be an enlightened asshole. And in some ways, I think Judaism has more flexibility than leftism in terms of accepting people for who they are. I think like the natural conclusion of a lot of leftist dialogue is we must be perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we're evil. I do appreciate that Judaism is a little bit more forgiving of human flaw. Yeah. Judaism is uh, less idolizing than the left. You know, you can be a, a bit of a shithead. But I mean, you're not excused from being a shithead. Like, you still have to try to fix it. I mean, as I think it's in Pirke Avo, the Talmud says, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. Like, you have to work on not being a shithead, but we all know, like, you're never going to reach total purity. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I guess that's kind of comforting in a weird way for me. Yeah, I think that's a strain in Judaism. I don't think it's true of all Judaism, but I definitely think it's a strain that I'm interested in fighting for (laughs) and like keeping alive. Yeah, aren't there other strains, Lamed Vavniks and stuff like that, which seems to be more about idolizing the perfect? I don't know. It gets really complicated once you get into Hasidut and it gets out of my expertise. But my laywoman's understanding of it is that sin is, is handled in a really unique way in the purpose of literature. There's a lot more complicated ideas. There's sadiqs like saintly people who are like fully perfect who don't even have the urge to sin. But most of us are considered to be in-betweeners. It's a benefit to be an in-betweener because you have the opportunity for repentance, which brings you closer to Hashem. So in some ways, if you're a sinner, you have an opportunity to be closer to Hashem than a saint. Absolutely. I would say that is a position within at least Hasidic conceptions of sin. And the goal for most of us is not to become a tzaddik because we'll never be purged of our evil inclination. There's an equivalent of the tzaddik, which is the rasha, the bad person who has no desire to do any good deed. And most of us are neither of those things. We have the privilege of struggling between the two poles, and that very struggle is what allows us to to the divine. Mm, mm, we are in the liminal space. It's true. We are a twilight people, as someone once said. We're made of stardust, listeners. The conclusion is, <laughs> you are a star, just rock it. You are a superstar. Every listener listening to this show, you are a superstar. Have we covered the sugya? Are we good? Yeah, I think we've covered the sugya. I'm just excited about this idea that there are texts, there are sacred texts in our tradition, like little time capsules that were intended for our generation to unearth. And there's things that are happening now that are being written and done now that won't be fully understood and redeemed until some future generation looks at them. And I'm very, I'm very hot for that idea. Yeah, that's pretty sexy. So listeners, now is the time in which we shall introduce a new segment. Oh my God. I'm a little, I'm I'm not so excited. Oh shit. Michael. Oh, Get on board. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm on board. What's our segment, Hava? Mike's Jewish journey. Oh, my God. Michael is very much 
at the beginning of a beautiful journey of rediscovering Judaism as an adult. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to take a little time each week to check in on Michael's Jewish journey. I thought because probably a lot of you are going through similar processes and also because I just think it's really interesting to hear about people's unique experiences. So without further ado, here comes Mike's Jewish journey. Michael, um, great to have you on the show. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's something to be here, I'll tell you that. What was your experience of Judaism and Jewishness like growing up? It was like a big pile of dung. <laughs> like, did you go to synagogue? Uh, a couple times a year. Like high holidays or something? Not even high holidays. I, I don't even Just know. Just random times. What I remember more is going to Hebrew school. Right. Because we were Jews, we were allowed to leave Belarus. You are, in fact, a first-generation immigrant from Belarus. And your family was allowed to leave because they were Jews? Yeah, at the time, the way it worked... Who wasn't allowed to leave? Well, the Soviet Union was weird. You could go on vacation. You could leave the Soviet Union, like apply to go on vacation, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But you couldn't really bring your whole family with you. They'd always want you to leave someone behind so you would run away. It's a little North korea -y. You know, you're not supposed to huh. leave, right? They don't want people to leave. You know, this is right. like 1970s Soviet Union. Right. But, you know, no one likes the Jews, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the Jews, but certainly no one, um, Belarus and uh, the rest of Russia, not super pro Jew. I don't know the politics on the Russian side of the equation, but for some reason during this time period, if you were Jewish, you could say that you're going to Israel or going to somewhere else. You couldn't say you're going to America. That would be bad. So Got what it. happens is you'd leave. And then once you're in like some other country, you'd be like, okay, now I'm going to like get my papers to come to America. And on the American side, the politics were like, well, Russia's like big and evil, right? And we want to show how morally superior we are to them. So you were sort of like recruited by America. Yeah. So like America recruited the Jews. Yeah. I'm like a recruit for America playing for a weird right. sports team called Jews. You're a part of Soviet brain drain. Yeah, basically. Your family came and they sent you to Hebrew school because they were just like, we are not sure about synagogue, but you must have some rudimentary knowledge of Jewish stuff. Yeah, basically. They had some rudimentary knowledge. Like my dad told me that they got matzah for Passover on like the black market. Some guy would come to their right. door and deliver matzah. And, and, you know, they conceived of themselves as Jews and they had Jew as their nationality on their Russian passport. Right. Everyone said they were Jews. They were Jews. My mom couldn't major in certain things in college because she was a Jew. Wow. It was crazy. So it's like, you know, they it was important to them. So I went to Hebrew right. school. They had a sense of ethnic pride. Yeah, they had a sense of ethnic pride. Apparently, my mom's name is not very Jewish. And so my dad didn't think she was Jewish when they first met. And then he found out and he was like, damn, I need a score. <laughs> that fine. Anyway. <laughs> Great. It's very relatable. I've had that exact experience. Yeah, I re okay, recently had that experience. I was talking to someone and they were like, oh, I'm thinking about converting to Judaism. And I was like, really? Ooh, mm. Wow, my interest level just like skyrocketed. 
It's bad and good and... I know. We all have to wrestle with that demon. So they stuck you in Hebrew school and it really sucked. Why did it suck so much? Okay, we're only learned Tanakh. I didn't even have an idea that Talmud was a thing until maybe I was 25. And it was still vague. I knew about like Parshas, kind of. You know, they taught us that and they taught us some Bible stories and how to read Hebrew. and But it was just so out of context. It didn't fit into the rest of my life. It was just this weird thing that was analogous to Christianity, you know? Like, the Catholics would go to their, like, Catholic shit, and I'd go to my Jew shit, and we'd, like, compare notes, and the notes were pretty similar, and it just seemed totally divorced from my reality. It had nothing to do with it. You had this really contextless, messy, crummy Jewish childhood, and now you are on this whole new journey with the relation to Judaism, why are you looking for a way back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I seeking a way back in? Yeah. Like when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 and in high school, I was, you know, I was ostensibly one of those people who just like believed in some sort of humanistic, not really deeply observed moral compass, right? Mm -hmm. And I just realized in college and after college that that wasn't enough for me. And, you know, leftist politics even wasn't enough. Like, it felt like it was missing. It wasn't asking the sort of questions that I wanted to ask about, like, why people are evil and, you know, why the world is so shitty and, like, why am I so depressed? (laughs) You know? Right. You had these big interests and committees in your life, and they Mm -hmm. still weren't addressing big enough questions for you. They weren't getting to the real existential dilemmas. And I was realizing that a lot of traditional groups of people, Amish people and other cults or sects, and I mean that in a totally non-judgmental way, I love cults. Please let me join your cult, guys. But they deal with that stuff in a different way. They're actually grappling with metaphysical questions and existential questions. And I found that very appealing. You had a framework for grappling with social questions, but you didn't have a framework for grappling with existential questions. And you need a way to handle both of those sides of the equation. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, was exposed to some moral philosophy. I read some Alistair McIntyre, who's this like big old Catholic dude from Notre Dame University. He gives a pretty compelling argument about how all the moral frameworks that we have conceived of are all kind of bullshit. They don't stack up. You know, existential crisis. Classic white dude. (laughs) I'm in my 20s and I'm just freaking out because the world revolves around me, right? And now here we are on this journey together. And now we're on this journey. So I am trying to figure it out along with you listeners, maybe. Maybe you listeners have already figured it out. If you want to tell us about your Jewish journey, call in to the Talmud hotline. This is a process. We're we're figuring it out. We're trying to live righteous lives here. It's true. We're not tzaddiks. We're not tzaddiks. No. 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 And I'm so glad we're not because we're going to go to Maine next week and we're going to get fucking it's true i will be tripping mushrooms for shavuot it is my annual shavuot observance and i'm really excited to do it yeah it's gonna be great okay listeners thanks for listening if you want to talk talmud or you want to talk about your jewish journey call the talmud hotline Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you can write us an email at hi how are you at gmail.com please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or join our Patreon. Tweet at me, at hi, how are you? I'm very responsive on Twitter. Yeah, you are all great. Thank you so much for listening. 
and talk to you in a week. Yeah, Shavua Tov, everyone. Bye.